0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello everyone, Ray here. Our friends at the ParCast Network are back with another great show. And together, we're excited to give you a bonus episode of ParCast Network's newest show, Assassinations. And it's ad-free. Assassinations takes a deep dive into the life of some of the world's most infamous assassins to discover what motivated them to take such drastic measures. These assassinations are examined through the lens of both the target and the assassin. This episode that you're about to hear is on the JFK assassination. If you enjoy it, search for Assassinations wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to Part 2 now. If you use iTunes, search assassinations, or check out their homepage, www.parkast.com slash assassinations. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.
2: Apparently something is wrong here. Something is terribly wrong. I'm in behind the motorcade. case,
1: trying to follow the notes as though they're going to Parkland Hospital.
2: And then it was just a few minutes after that that... Uh, Someone ran in with a TV uh, saying uh, the president had been shot. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired
0: at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The doctors were silent. The mood was grim. The patient's condition was worsening by the second.
2: They tell themselves to stick to their training, that this man is just like any other patient. But it's not true. The man whose life they're trying to save is John F. Kennedy.
0: As they do everything they can to keep him alive, the nation is tuned in. News broadcasts run a Kennedy Death Watch, keeping listeners updated on Kennedy's condition.
2: As time passed, they started to realize there was nothing to be done. Kennedy was going to die. A Catholic priest was rushed to the operating room to administer last rites.
0: The doctors had done everything they could. All that remained was to wait for the inevitable. But then, to everyone's shock, John Kennedy woke up from his coma.
2: The year was 1954. While undergoing a complex spinal surgery, Massachusetts Senator John F. Kennedy had contracted a urinary tract infection and slipped into a coma. He was not expected to survive. When he did wake up, it was said that John had cheated death.
0: John Kennedy was no stranger to near-death experiences, but his luck would finally run out nine years later on November 22, 1963, the day of John Kennedy's assassination. Welcome to Assassinations, Every week, we examine the famous assassins of history and the men and women who were assassinated.
2: I'm your host, Bill.
0: And I'm your host, Kate. This is our first episode on the assassination of John F. Kennedy.
2: If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Monday.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as Parcast. on Twitter, Network. And at ParCast.com. This episode is the first of a three-part series on the most famous assassination of the 20th century, the shooting of President John F. Kennedy.
2: John Kennedy was not the first United States president to be killed while in office, but his death came at a time of national turmoil and changed the course of American history.
0: The Kennedy assassination is one of the most popular sources of conspiracy theories in history. Thousands of books have been published that examine potential conspiracies behind the murder.
2: For this series, we're focusing on the known facts of the assassination. If you're interested in conspiracy theories surrounding the death of John Kennedy, be sure to check out ParCast's other show, Conspiracy Theories, and our episodes on the Kennedy assassination.
0: There were two moments that defined the life of Lee Oswald. One happened near the end of his life, his assassination of President Kennedy. The other happened two months before he was born, the death of Lee's father, Robert Oswald Sr., who died of a heart attack in August of 1939. Two months later, on October 18, 1939, Lee was born in New Orleans.
2: Lee's mother, Marguerite Oswald, couldn't afford to care for Lee, his brother, Robert Jr., and his half-brother, John Pick. Shortly after Lee was born, his mother was forced to send him and his brothers to an orphanage. For the baby Lee Oswald, these events in his early life were tantamount to childhood abandonment. Neglect can cause a unique kind of trauma in young children. Broadly, a neglected child can develop an emotional void as a result of being denied parental attention during a crucial developmental period. This can lead to social and emotional issues in adults.
0: This is not to say that Lee Oswald was destined to become the most infamous assassin of the 20th century just because he was born to a broken home. But both Lee Oswald and John Kennedy were men defined by their origins—
2: in 1944, when Lee was four years old, Marguerite was able to pull him and his brothers out of the orphanage. The family moved to Dallas, Texas.
0: The next year, Marguerite married Edwin Eckdahl, an electrical engineer. For a time, Lee had the father figure and stable home life that he had been denied since his birth.
2: However, Marguerite and Edwin's marriage only lasted three years. They divorced in 1948. Lee was nine. In his short life, he'd been denied his real father, and now his stepfather was leaving.
0: The remainder of Lee's childhood did little to provide a stabilizing environment for him. Robert Jr. and John went to work so that they could help support the family. So most of the time, it was just Marguerite and Lee by themselves. And really, it was just nine-year-old Lee.
2: Marguerite worked odd jobs to make ends meet. She couldn't afford a babysitter, so Lee was often left alone at home, or worse, left by himself in Marguerite's car while she was at work. In 1952, when Lee was 12, he moved with his mother to New York to stay with Lee's half-brother, John, and John's wife, Margaret.
0: They didn't stay with John and Margaret for long. Lee and his mother fought constantly, and there was nothing John could do to calm either of them down.
2: During one of these fights, Lee fell into a tantrum, banging his hands against the walls, screaming at the top of his lungs. Margaret tried to grab Lee and settle him down.
0: When Lee saw Margaret approaching, he stopped screaming. He then pulled out a pocket knife and waved it at his sister-in-law.
2: Lee's mother tried to intervene and get the knife away from him. He punched her.
0: Lee and his mother were asked to move out. They ended up getting their own apartment. Lee attended school in New York, but he didn't socialize with his schoolmates.
2: Soon, he was skipping class to spend time by himself. He preferred to read in solitude. Lee believed that school had nothing to offer him and that he was better off teaching himself what was important in life.
0: School officials brought truancy charges against him, but that had little effect.
2: New York law holds parents responsible for ensuring their children attend school. If a truancy officer determines that a parent is unable to control their child, custody of that child might be temporarily handed to a juvenile court system.
0: Lee was sent to the Youth House, a psychological institution where children were evaluated before the court determined if the child needed to be placed in the custody of the state.
2: Dr. Renatus Hartogs, chief psychiatrist at the Youth House, took note of Lee's intense feelings of anxiety and insecurity. Lee didn't have friends, and he didn't want them.
0: Lee didn't have the ability to form open emotional relationships. He refused to socialize and preferred to daydream by himself. His fantasies provided a mental escape from his frustrating life.
2: Hartogs noted that Lee's intelligence was above average for a child his age. This was noteworthy given that Lee also exhibited signs of being emotionally disturbed. Hartogs recommended that Lee be kept in his mother's care, but placed on probation and assigned a child psychologist.
0: If Lee had actually seen a psychologist, then maybe he could have gotten the help he needed, and things would have turned out differently for him and for the country. Unfortunately, the State Board of New York never got the chance to really help Lee Oswald.
2: When Lee returned to school, it was as if nothing had changed. He continued to skip class, and soon, Marguerite discovered that the state board was preparing to take Lee from her custody and place him in a school for boys. She and her son fled New York in 1954.
0: Marguerite and Lee returned to New Orleans. Lee completed the 8th and ninth grade, but his behavioral problems persisted.
2: One month into the 10th grade, Lee dropped out of school. He spent most days at the library. It was here that he first developed an interest in communist literature.
0: This was the 1950s, right in the midst of the Red Scare, a movement of American propaganda against Soviet communism.
2: American media presented communists as dangerous outsiders. For Lee, an outsider in his own right, communism had a natural draw.
0: As he grew older, Lee began to see himself as a soldier fighting for a cause. And he knew that if he wanted to fight, he'd have to learn how to shoot a gun.
2: Lee became fixated on the United States Marines. His brother Robert had joined the Corps, and when he was 16, Lee decided that he was going to follow in Robert's footsteps and become a soldier.
0: In 1956, just days after his 17th birthday, Lee was accepted into the Marine Corps.
2: During his entrance exams, Lee's shooting scores were so high that he was granted the second highest skill classification.
0: At this point in his life, Lee had been many things—orphan, problem child, loner. But now he had a title that he was proud of.
2: According to the U.S. Marines, Lee Oswald was a marksman.
0: We'll cover Lee's time in the Marines right after this. Now, back to the story. Lee's experience in the Marines was not what he expected. One of the side effects of emotional trauma is the inability to engage with social settings. Lee's personality prevented him from connecting with other people.
2: In Lee's head, he was a man of skill and intellect, but his unit wasn't recognizing him for his talents.
0: On more than one occasion, Lee baited an officer into debating him on some subject like foreign affairs. Lee, well-read as he was, would often win these debates and would then point to his victories as proof that these men weren't fit to give him orders.
2: As you can imagine, he wasn't the most popular with his fellow enlisted men. That suited Lee just fine. In his head, he was the suffering hero of his own story.
0: After basic training, Lee was stationed at a Marine Corps air station in Atsugi, Japan. One night, Lee returned to the barracks and found that it was empty. He preferred it that way. He liked being
2: alone. Lee went to his bunk and reached for the footlocker stored under the mattress. He strained as he lifted the heavy box up. He dropped it on the bed, rattling the contents inside.
0: Some of Lee's personal items tumbled out. This included a loaded pistol. The gun hit the mattress and rolled off the bed, striking the floor. The gun went off.
2: Lee stumbled, clutching his arm. The bullet had struck him in the elbow.
0: The shot rang out across the base. Lee's fellow Marines were at the barracks in seconds, where they found Lee clutching his bleeding arm and standing over the smoking gun.
2: However, Oswald's wound was superficial. After he was treated, he was court-martialed by the Army office. As a Marine, it was illegal to possess a private firearm. Lee was sentenced to a 20-day suspension.
0: It's been proposed that this accident was, in fact, intentional. Oswald actually shot himself in an attempt to get discharged. The basis for this theory is the fact that the pistol was only a .22 caliber, the kind of gun that wouldn't do much damage if you were to shoot yourself in the arm with it.
2: Lee didn't take his suspension well. Sometime after the court-martial, Lee was found stumbling across the base, He was drunk and angry, and it wasn't long before he found himself in the mess hall. There, he spotted the sergeant who had issued his suspension.
0: Lee hobbled toward the men, yelling incoherently. He bumped into the sergeant, spilling his drink. As voices were raised, Lee enthusiastically challenged the sergeant, and anyone else, to step outside and fight him.
2: He was court-martialed, Again, this time for assaulting an officer, he was sent to military prison. Despite his behavioral issues, Oswald did show some aptitude for life as a Marine. He was even assigned to a radar tech crew. The position gave him clearance for classified intelligence. If Oswald had stayed in the Marines, the course of history might have turned out different.
0: Instead, in September of 1959, just before his 20th birthday, Oswald requested a discharge from active service. He said Marguerite was ill and that he had to take care of her.
2: Whether this is true or not, Lee was granted a hardship discharge.
0: Less than a month later, he was on a plane to the Soviet Union. We'll cover Lee's life in Russia later in this episode. But first, we're going to switch to the other character in our story, John F. Kennedy. We know that America was founded on the principle of leadership elected by the people rather than a monarchy. But if there is such a thing as American royalty, it would be the Kennedy family.
2: Ever since 1884, when Patrick Joseph Kennedy was elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives, The Kennedys have been a near-permanent fixture in American politics and business.
0: At least one member of the extended Kennedy family held public office for every single year between 1961 and 2011.
2: John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born May 29, 1917 in Brookline, Massachusetts. John's father, Joseph Kennedy, was a millionaire investor, ambassador, chairman of the SEC, and famed political kingmaker. His mother, Rose Kennedy, was a socialite and philanthropist.
0: The Kennedys were less of a family than they were a dynasty. And as you can imagine, much was expected of John from an early age.
2: Kennedy's life has been thoroughly examined by biographers over the past several decades. The general account of Kennedy always seems to note how his death in particular was tragic. He was a young, bright, all-American who had an influential career ahead of him.
0: But there's a less discussed aspect of Kennedy's life that tends to be overlooked. John Kennedy was plagued with numerous health problems for his entire life. For a man who, on the surface, seemed to so perfectly embody American ideals, the reality is that behind that perfect facade, he was suffering.
2: One of the earliest significant notes of John Kennedy's health is his 1934 hospitalization for a gastrointestinal disease that was ultimately diagnosed as spastic colitis. The condition plagued him for the rest of his life.
0: John enrolled in Harvard College in 1936. He swam for the varsity swim team, and at some point during his college career, he severely injured his back. There's speculation that the steroids Kennedy was taking for his colitis might have weakened his vertebrae, which made his back injury permanent. The chronic pain stayed with Kennedy for the rest of his life.
2: Despite his health problems, John was intent on fighting in the Second World War. He applied to the Army's Officer Candidate School in 1940, but was rejected because of his chronic back pain.
0: That didn't discourage him. Over the next year, he exercised, got in shape, and had his father call some of his connections.
2: When John tried to join the Armed Forces a second time in September of 1941, he was not denied.
0: Kennedy had a decorated military career. Most notably was an episode when the PT boat Kennedy commanded was sunk by Japanese destroyers in the Solomon Sea. Under Kennedy's leadership, the surviving crew made it to a nearby island and survived for six days before they were rescued.
2: For his heroism... Kennedy was awarded a Navy and Marine Corps medal, as well as a Purple Heart, for a back injury he sustained during the initial swim to the island. This ordeal had reignited the chronic back pain.
0: John was now a decorated war hero. While his actions made him a hero, his medals and reputation would benefit him after the war when he eventually ran for office.
2: It's possible that John Kennedy had originally never intended to run for office. It was through a family tragedy that John's destiny was changed forever.
0: John's older brother, Joseph Kennedy Jr., a fellow soldier, was killed in action in 1944. John suddenly found himself the oldest of the surviving Kennedy children. Joseph Jr. had been tapped to follow in his father's footsteps by becoming a politician and presumably seeking to become the president one day. With Joseph Jr.'s untimely death, that pressure fell to John.
2: Again, John did not disappoint. He ran for office in 1946 as the Democratic representative of the 11th District of Massachusetts and won. His
0: father financed the campaign.
2: Had Joe Kennedy Jr. lived, there's a chance that John might have never gone into politics. John was an avid traveler and writer and had even expressed interest in journalism. However, once he became the heir apparent to the Kennedy family, any other ambitions were set aside.
0: At the same time, John was grappling with an array of health problems. He was diagnosed with Addison's disease, an adrenal gland disorder, in 1949 when he was 32. But it didn't stop him from serving in the House of Representatives for six years. In 1953, he ran for the Senate and won.
2: Kennedy underwent a number of spinal surgeries during his first term as a senator. His Addison's disease made surgery a complicated matter. Kennedy's body was not capable of producing enough of the required hormones to fight off infections.
0: The numerous surgeries combined with his Addison's disease nearly killed Kennedy early in his first term in the Senate. In
2: 1954... Kennedy went in for a complicated spinal surgery. Doctors had told Kennedy that if he didn't have the surgery, he would very likely be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But Joe Kennedy and the rest of John's family worried, rightfully so, that his Addison's disease would complicate the procedure.
0: Kennedy opted to have the operation. He went under the knife in the fall of 1954.
2: Doctors worked on Kennedy's spine for hours. The procedure seemed to go off without a hitch. But after the doctors had completed their work on Kennedy's spine and moved him to a recovery ward, Kennedy didn't wake up.
0: The human body is prone to all kinds of infections during a surgical procedure. Doctors realized that Kennedy had contracted a urinary tract infection. His body, weakened by Addison's disease, was not fighting the infection.
2: Kennedy slipped into a coma, and the presiding doctor declared that it would be a miracle if he recovered without having serious brain damage, if he recovered at all.
0: Word got out that the senator wasn't expected to make it through the night. National News carried on a Kennedy death watch. A priest was even summoned to the hospital to perform last rites, the rituals intended to prepare a dying person's soul for the afterlife.
2: And then suddenly, he woke up.
0: He recovered, miraculously. But he was hospitalized at least nine more times over the next two years and was often missing from Senate proceedings. Despite the absences, Kennedy won his reelection bid for senator in 1958. And with that win, he started preparing his bid for the 1960 Democratic nomination for president.
2: In November of 1960, John F. Kennedy defeated Richard Nixon and, at 43 years of age, became the youngest person ever elected to the office of the president.
0: For all intents and purposes, Kennedy's election was his destiny. Despite the health problems that had held him back most of his life, he had fulfilled his father's mandate and became the first Kennedy in the White House.
2: 1960 found the United States in a phase of unrest. The Cold War was ever present and the threat of nuclear weapons was growing. American soldiers were dying in the fields of Vietnam. Civil rights was creating a clash between progressives and segregationists. John Kennedy seemed like the man to guide America through these turbulent times, but fate had other tragic plans for the maverick president.
0: Up next, we'll look at the difficulties of Kennedy's early years in the White House, as well as Lee Oswald's failed attempt to leave the United States forever. Now, back to the story. In 1959, while Kennedy was gearing up for his presidential run, Lee Harvey Oswald was en route to the Soviet Union.
2: It's difficult to fully state just how bizarre it would have been at this point in history for a trained Marine to openly travel to the Soviet Union.
0: In 1959, the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union was in the midst of what historians would later call the escalation phase.
2: After Soviet leader Joseph Stalin died in 1953, some had hoped that relationships between the East and the West would improve. However, Stalin's successor, Nikita Khrushchev, proved to be even more dangerous. By the late 1950s, Khrushchev was openly threatening the United States and the other allied powers with complete nuclear annihilation.
0: This was a time in which every aspect of American life was being propped up as an act of patriotism against the oppression of communism. The two nations were not just in a military war, they were locked in a battle to be superior in economics, technology, and culture as well.
2: This pro-American propaganda also created a national attitude of hostility toward anything Russian.
0: Knowing what we do about Lee Harvey Oswald, his interest in communism and the Soviet Union doesn't seem all that surprising.
2: Oswald had a psychological need to feel like he was part of a family. However, his behavior rendered him unable to form lasting relationships.
0: He had exhibited this behavior time and time again, in school and later with the Marines.
2: Oswald was always looking for the greener grass on the other side of the proverbial fence. He'd always been an outsider, and it makes sense that he'd think he would fit in among a civilization that was so detested.
0: Lee arrived in Finland in October of 1959. There, he obtained a visa that would allow him to enter the Soviet Union.
2: Lee's intent here was to defect from the United States to the Soviet Union. Upon arriving in Moscow, Lee immediately applied for citizenship.
0: He was assigned a tour guide, someone who would keep an eye on him while his application was considered.
2: As the days passed, Lee grew more and more frustrated. He didn't understand why Russian officials wouldn't jump at the chance to have him, a trained marksman, join their ranks.
0: On the day before his visa was set to expire, Lee received word from the Russian government. His petition to become a citizen had been denied.
2: In response to the bad news, Lee attempted suicide. He slashed his own wrist in a bathtub, but was discovered in time by the officials who came to his apartment to deport him.
0: Lee was sent to a psychiatric hospital for a week. Whether the suicide attempt was real or a play by Lee to stay in Russia, he had managed to prolong his visit. He'd bought himself some time.
2: On October 31, 1959, Lee Oswald went to the American embassy in Moscow to express his intent to formally renounce his American citizenship.
0: Additionally, he got in touch with the Soviet immigration officials and informed them that he had been a radar tech in the U.S. Marines and that he was partial to confidential information that he would share with them if they let him
2: stay. Oswald was likely stretching the truth. While his job as a radar tech had granted him a security clearance, there's no evidence that he gave the Soviets any sensitive information. There's actually no evidence that Oswald even had useful information to give.
0: The KGB investigated Oswald. They quickly determined that he likely had nothing useful to offer.
2: Soviet agents who spied on Lee Harvey Oswald also considered him a clumsy guy who couldn't shoot straight. In the current issue of The New Yorker magazine... Author Norman Mailer says the former deputy chief of counterintelligence at the Soviet Union told Mailer that the KGB had no data that could have foretold the Kennedy assassination. The chief spy called Kennedy's assassination the worst moment of my life. The article also says that Soviet agents watched Oswald and his Russian wife Marina through a peephole in the wall of their state-assigned apartment. Chris Ohlert, New York.
0: Of course, the fact that he had even tried to pass information to the Soviets would play significantly into the conspiracy theories that developed after the assassination of John Kennedy.
2: Oswald's meeting with the officials at the American embassy was written up in his military file. Remember, at the time, Oswald was under a hardship discharge, which he had obtained by claiming he needed to take care of his sick mother. Unless Marguerite Oswald just happened to be in the Soviet Union in 1959, this was a lie. But Lee's action at the American embassy led his discharge classification to be changed from honorable hardship to undesirable. This meant that the military had deemed him unfit for service.
0: It is important to note, though Oswald had stated his intent to renounce his American citizenship... He never actually filled out the paperwork.
2: Defection was a useful propaganda tactic during the Cold War. Since the United States and the Soviet Union were locked in an ideological battle between capitalism and communism, as well as a military battle, both sides took every chance to show that their way was better.
0: Oswald's defection was noteworthy for a time. He was written up in a number of Fort Worth newspapers, Marguerite Oswald apparently wasn't even aware her son had gone to Russia until she read about him in the morning paper.
2: The Soviets stationed him in Minsk, Belarus, far away from Moscow. He was given a nice apartment, a monthly stipend, and a well-paying job in a radio and TV factory. His salary, combined with his stipend, offered Oswald a standard of living well above the average Soviet who performed the same job.
0: He was bored with his work and dismissive of the money he was making because there was hardly anything to spend it on. He engaged in a relationship with a coworker named Ella German. He actually proposed marriage, but Ella turned him down.
2: In January of 1961, barely a year after he defected, Oswald wrote to the American embassy in Moscow to request the return of his American passport. The proud communist was ready to come home
0: he wouldn't be returning to the States alone. In April of 1961, Lee married Marina Prusakova after dating for only six weeks. Oswald later confessed that his fast engagement to Marina was a direct response to his rejection by Ella.
2: Lee and Marina had a daughter June in February of 1962. In an ironic coincidence, it was in June of that year that Marina's application to become an American citizen and travel with her husband to America was approved. Lee had never actually completed the paperwork to renounce his citizenship, so it was easy for the United States to welcome him back.
0: It may seem an odd choice to allow Oswald to return to the United States after he had openly expressed his disregard for the nation. However, for United States officials, Lee's return less than three years after his initial defection was a publicity win. It is interesting to consider the psychological effect this might have had on Oswald. He had been a spoken proponent of communism since he was at least 15 years old. He had written to his brother, Robert, about the superiority of communism to capitalism and how his devotion to Soviet life was so great that he would fight on the Soviet side should a war between the two superpowers break out.
2: Oswald had lived his entire life more focused on the reality in his head than the reality that faced him. He thought he would find a home in the Marines and had failed. He thought he would find a home in the Soviet Union, and he had failed abysmally.
0: Lee and Marina moved with their infant daughter to Dallas, where they lived close to Marguerite and Robert Jr.
2: Because of his military classification changing from honorable to undesirable, Lee found that it was hard to find steady work. People weren't keen on employing a communist sympathizer.
0: This was Lee Harvey Oswald at the beginning of 1963. Adrift, unable to hold a job, in closer proximity to his mother than he would have liked, and most importantly, possessed by the desire to be seen.
2: Despite the fact that Lee had failed to make a life for himself in Russia, he was still passionate about communist politics. As he and his new wife settled into their lives, Lee became involved in a number of communist causes, most notably the Fair Play for Cuba Committee.
0: Oswald's interest in Cuba's political situation would put him at odds with the man he would eventually kill.
2: The issue of Cuba was a black mark on Kennedy's presidency. He had overseen a failed CIA-backed invasion of the country in 1961 in an incident now referred to as the Bay of Pigs.
0: In 1962, as retaliation for the Bay of Pigs, the Soviet government supported the deployment of ballistic missiles to Cuba, where they would be within easy reach of the vulnerable United States.
2: As warships were deployed and troops were put on alert to be ready for war, John Kennedy engaged in tense negotiations with Russian President Nikita Khrushchev.
0: The two leaders ultimately reached an accord and the missiles in Cuba were dismantled. Still, the entire American nation could sense just how close they had come to nuclear war. Though the missiles were gone, the presence of communist Cuba was still a growing concern.
2: There was a rise in anti-communist rhetoric from American politicians following the 1962 crisis. Much of this language specifically attacked communist Cuba and communist sympathizers living in the United States.
0: Lee Oswald took anti-communist language very personally. As 1963 dragged on and Lee became more and more frustrated with his dismal job prospects and the constant noise of American leadership attacking his chosen ideology, something in Lee snapped. He decided that he wasn't going to take it. He was going to become the communist foot soldier he had always wanted to be. He was going to assassinate an American leader.
2: But his first target was not President Kennedy. In early 1963, Lee Oswald would travel to the home of a retired American Army general with the intent to kill him.
0: Thanks for listening to Assassinations. We hope you enjoyed part one of our series on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Next week... We'll discuss the events of November 22nd, 1963, the last day of John Kennedy's life.
2: If you're looking for more episodes or other stories of murder and crime, you can find us as well as all of ParkCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: See you next Monday.
0: Assassinations was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is a part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Assassinations is written by Colin McLaughlin and stars Kate Leonard and Bill Thomas.